everyone. Welcome to Pedagogy Geeks, our podcast exploring topics that support embodied musicianship. I'm Arielle Weiss. And I'm Ryan Tusing. I'm a pianist and piano teacher living here in Virginia. And I'm an Alexander Technique teacher living here just outside of Philadelphia. We invite you to join us in exploring the hows and whys behind what we teach musicians so that we can help promote the integration of wellness and musicianship. We welcome your questions and hope to inspire your curiosity. And to support and encourage re-examining, rediscovering, and bringing embodiment and creativity into our teaching. We're so excited to start our second season of Pedagogy Geeks with today's topic, cross training for musicians. I'm so glad that we're covering this topic. I think it is the perfect time of year to begin making a plan for building healthy habits. Why is cross training important? And what are the benefits? Mm. Well, cross training is really a concept that we're taking mostly from athletics, right? And the idea is that when we need to do one specific skill set, one specific movement kind of vocabulary, it's quite helpful and healthier uh, to not get too pigeonholed uh, because the way our physical, emotional health works is we need a variety of experiences. Uh, think about like lettuce or greens are healthy for us, but if we only ate greens, we might be missing other nutrients. <laughs> and so this idea of creating context uh, so that we don't kind of fall down a rabbit hole. Uh, so it builds resilience and flexibility uh, for us as humans and specifically for musicians. So the benefits I think are that we avoid burnout, we avoid injury. Those are the two that are popping up for me. What does that make you think of, Ryan? I would say I'm definitely agreeing with you in terms of the benefits, especially because I really think that it's very easy. I mean, I'm speaking as a pianist here to, you know, get very stuck, you know, like, okay, I'm sitting at the piano, I'm practicing, I'm, you know, doing all of this. And it's really easy to just get stuck sitting there, you know, doing the same thing very frequently. So I think, you know, even things as simple as getting up and moving, taking a walk, very, you know, all of that, I think, relates to this idea of cross training in a certain way, even though that's a, at a very basic level. And I think those things not only benefit us in the ways that you've mentioned, but I think they also have a particularly, um, profound effect on our mental health, you know, in the process of it, because I think it's very easy to just get, you know, stuck in a rut as it were. Yeah. And, and you're already kind of touching upon this, but, um, cross training can mean a lot of different things. So what kinds of things do you think are kind of appropriate when we talk about cross training for musicians, Ryan? So this absolutely fascinated me. So I did a survey of a couple different <laughs> dictionaries to see how they were defining cross training. And I was pretty interested to find that of the dictionaries that I surveyed, 
the primary definition that they gave for cross training was not actually the exercise definition as we're thinking mm. of it predominantly here but the primary definition that they gave was this idea of like within a job you know or something it's learning other tasks and skills that may be complementary to mm. the primary thing that you're doing which i loved that because i was like you know what that is also a beautiful piece of this discussion i think because it's not only you know for instrumentalists or singers it's not only honing our craft with our instrument it's ear training it's analysis it's uh composition it's improvisation it's um, mm. movement awareness it's all of this this rich combination of things and i think you know as i was considering these definitions that for me as a musician sometimes i find it's easy to get you know do the same thing and you know kind of oh, i can i'll get feel a little flat but by looking in these other veins of music and maybe looking at a piece in a different way or thinking, oh, I'm going to improvise on this idea, all of a sudden mm. it opens new vistas into it. And I'm no longer sitting there going, oh, I can't get measure 37 quite right. I don't know what to do with it. All of a sudden you're just seeing it in a different way. And then all of a sudden measure 37 mm. starts to make sense in a new and beautiful way. Mm. That was beautiful, Ryan. I loved going with you on that little journey. Um, yeah, you know, this is something that's reminding me of my kind of evolution as an Alexander teacher that helps musicians. Because I used to kind of apologize a lot that I'm not a musician. And yet what I have found over the last 30 plus years is that because I'm not uh stuck in all the details of what you all know, that I bring a very different perspective. And it's much easier for me to look at those complementary trainings and what I've always called contextual information. So for instance, uh, having worked at the Curtis Institute of Music for 26 years, one thing that um, occurred to me is this like perfectionism, right? That zooming in, and, and getting stuck, you know, I often describe that like getting wedged into a corner. So one of my favorite things to do with musicians is to ask them to think like actors. <laughs> Not that I have a huge amount of acting training. I had a little tiny bit and have worked with a lot of actors, but here's my point. Actors train to deliver a very specific text musicians train to deliver a very specific score sometimes not all musicians of course actors train to deliver even when it's a very specific text as if it was the first time they were ever delivering it musicians would benefit from that right so that improvisational technique that approach that you were describing helps open up how do I approach this music differently today? So in general, I would say my thoughts about cross-training for musicians, almost um, across the board, is about going from zooming in into the specificity, both muscularly, but also <laughs> kind of what you're thinking about, right? And to zoom out, right? How could I do this differently? what other muscles between those in my fingers 
or to move my vocal folds <laughs> am I going to be using and how can I use them? So that I general idea about zooming out. So physically, but as you said, also musically, how do we zoom out and approach something a different way? What do you think the important factors are to consider uh, when you make a plan for cross-training, Ryan? The first one I must say I find is a slightly funny point, but one that I have personally found to be very important nonetheless. And that is, we only have 24 hours in the day. <laughs> as silly as that may sound, I think it's critical. Now, 24 hours is indeed a lot of time. However, I think we have to be wise and thoughtful about mm. how much we can reasonably expect to do in that time. And not only that, but thinking about which activities are likely going to help us on our journey with whatever it is we're working on musically or otherwise, to help us to toward our goal in a way that produces healthy, enjoyable growth and results. But also, I think, to do that with as little um, what I liked, what I've often heard referred to as grinding or, you know, just a lot of like the stress that can go with it, which a lot of times I think is a really good indicator that maybe we need to switch activities or switch to another way. And, you know, with this idea of cross training, look at it through a different lens. I love what you said about zooming out, because I think that's the thing. Like, I think we before we start practicing or we before we start, you know, making our cross training plan, we need to make sure that our zoom in, zoom out lenses are working really well, <laughs> because if they're not, I think we're we're apt to get stuck somewhere. And mm. I think by keeping those things in mind and just having the flexibility to zoom in and zoom out and think, okay, what do I really need here today? And what what might be interesting for me to explore, you know, in terms of the movement, in terms of exercise, in terms of what, you know, is going on musically. I think just kind of keeping all of that, you know, in this range, I think is a really good place to start when considering making a plan for this. Well, and I love, Ryan, what you talked about about grinding it out, right? Because I think my first suggestion about cross-training and what you should consider is what do you, what do you enjoy? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to bring you back to enjoying playing music? Because a lot of times I find that's the first thing to go as people get more serious and more committed. And to me, that's tragic, right? So maybe that's listening to different kinds of music just to open your ears back up right? Maybe that's going out in nature to kind of refresh yourself. Maybe that's taking a run and getting your heart pumping, right? And getting your whole body moving or a swim. But the idea for me is like, how do we get back into a joyful place so that our music making or, or whatever, maybe it's walking into a boardroom is, is coming from, from uh, an intentionality that we want instead of, oh, I better, right? Not, not music making as taskmaster, you know, slave driver, like who wants that music? No one. So I would say that. And then to think more um, kind of thematically, right? So uh, different instruments require different kinds of movement, but in general, we tend to be in flexion a lot. What do I mean by flexion? Bending forward in the sagittal plane, 
forward and back. Think about sitting at your computer or sitting at a piano or holding an instrument, yes? So a very simple rule for cross-training would be uh, to move in a different range of motion, right? So there's a lot of micro-movements with music making. Uh, so how can I move in a larger range of motion, right? Again, something like yoga is very nice for that, but you don't have to take a yoga class. You could put some music on and dance around and enjoy making larger shapes with your body. Also, I would think about instead of flexion, uh, think about extension, right? So that's getting your fingers to go away from your palms instead of in towards your palms. That's your spine going into what we would call, you know, a back bend or an arch, right? So that's extension. But again, we don't want to get stuck there. We want to play. Uh, I'm a great proponent for wiggling. <laughs> Wiggle therapy, if it's done with great um, ease, uh, can really help reset things. So one of the building blocks of the video course that I made for musicians is I have little guided movement videos. And my idea for musicians is before you address your instrument, before you open your score, that you pay attention to your own movement for a couple of minutes. And to do that in a much uh, more unified, cohesive way before you start thinking about fingers and vocal folds and embouchure. Yes, think about the whole first. That's that zooming out. That's that's really wonderful. And I think that what you just said about the way you structured your course and just the whole idea of having a practice of before we get into the specific activity or the work of what we're doing per se, we're really taking that moment to tune in. So, which I think helps to calibrate that zooming in and zooming out that I was talking about a little bit before is I think all of that goes hand in glove. And I think that sense of cultivating that is really rich. Now, I'm really curious, what kinds of cross-training ideas do you think are particularly good for pianists? Hmm. Well, I think about the movement required. So uh, for one thing, I like to uh, have pianists uh, practice rotating their whole body, right? I have something that I call swimming or reaching rotations. Um, because that tends to get locked at the piano. The other thing is to get uh, pianists to really remember where their hip joints are and to roll around on those seat rockers of your sitting bones. Um, and also to think about far distance so that when you're sitting in a piano, we get kind of stuck into near distance. So to stand up and to rotate and to find your hips and to look far away uh, and also to practice looking from the very top of your spine so that when you're looking at keys or looking at a score, you're not using the base of your neck, but you're using the tops. The other thing is act absolutely uh, to get pianists to go into extension. And so there's something I do called wingspan, where I get um, pianists reminding themselves that their arms start at their sternoclavicular joint, not at their shoulder joint and to really explore all those possibilities for movement. But again, cross-training could be uh, listening to drumming music, right? And going for a run and uh, maybe reading some poetry for inspiration, right? To me, all those things are cross-training. 
But how about for you, Ryan, as a pianist, I think you might have very different ideas. Well, I will say I've I've been very lucky to have explored a lot of the ideas that you mentioned, you know, doing for pianists. And I will say I have found those to be very helpful in my own practice. And I think just what you've mentioned about just getting us getting ourselves to think and do things that are outside of the normal uh, parameters of the activity is so valuable. And I love what you added about, you know, thinking about poetry, listening to drumming music, dancing, like moving around. I think that that's really at the core of this. And I would say, in my opinion, specifically for pianists, and I'll speak specifically to classical pianists for a moment who tend to work from a score a lot. And I would say in that case, I would say really taking time to, you know, cultivate listening, cultivating improvisation and, you know, like, and, and taking, you know, if you're playing a piece, don't just be satisfied with playing the notes on the page. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. And I think that's great. But I think if we take a moment to really explore those notes and to find what's behind them by like trying to understand what was the composer doing and not just, you know, some analytical thing, but exploring it and then thinking, okay, now if I was a composer and this was the idea that I had, how could I do something with that? Mm. And I think, you know, just looking at it from those various vantage points, I think thinking about it in reference to, okay, how would this have likely sounded to the original audience? Thinking about the historical context of it. I think, you know, singing it, you know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's so basic, but singing it, clapping the rhythms, dancing mm -hmm. to the rhythms, you know, moving around, you know, if you've got a couple of friends around, okay, all of you guys take a part, take a line and improvise while you're listening to the piece. And you can, you can do so many different things. Or like maybe it's a piece for solo piano. Maybe you're going to adjust the piece and say, well, you know what? I have a friend that's a violinist. So maybe the violinist can play the melody. And as the pianist, I'm going to play the harmony. And then, you know, you can mix it up. But by doing that and, and even just imagining those different sonorities, those different sounds, even if you don't have access to, you know, other people nearby that are instrumentalists or singers that would want to join you, just imagining it or even experimenting yourself with singing it as you're playing, I think all of those things start to help us not to get stuck in this box, you know, that really can be limiting to us. Mm. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And if, if this podcast maybe should be <laughs> renamed, um, pro improvisation yes. <laughs> because it's really something I find lacking in, in the training of classical musicians. And as a dancer, I did a lot of training in improvisation and I did a lot of classical training as well. And they both inform me so differently. And I absolutely think that improvisational training um, builds resilience in performers and so I couldn't agree more with you about that. And, you know, a lot of times I'll ask musicians to just imagine what kind of space this music is happening in. Is it in a field? Is it on a battlefield? Is it in a bedroom chamber? You know, is it a dark hallway? And to let that process of imagining all the elements you can will inform all the textures and, and nuances of your choices. So that's more ideas for zooming out. 
Ryan, what do you think are some of the common misconceptions that you've encountered about cross training? Hmm. I would say one of the biggest that I briefly alluded to a little bit ago is that more is more is more is more is more is more is more. <laughs> and again, as we've been discussing, it's very exciting and it can be very invigorating and enlivening to ourselves and to the music that we're making when we explore these different things. But I think we have to also just take all of that within the sense of, you know, how much time do we have to, to do what we're doing and how can we use these things as tools and explorations to help us in the task of learning a piece because I think it can be easy for us to you know on an opposite end of the spectrum so to speak to go to such an extreme with the cross training that we end up feeling really busy and really stressed like I've got to do this and then I've got to do this and I've got to do this in order to do something when in reality all of these things are meant to help us and to help us to find new avenues into it but I think we have to be careful not to put too much pressure on ourselves to do it all all at once let it be a gradual process where maybe you explore you know something different you know once a once every couple of days or you know depending on how much time you have you may be able to do more than that but again i would say doing more is not necessarily the goal you know really just finding what is helpful for you and just exploring but exploring in a way where you still remain connected in a in a beautiful way to the activity and the task that you're working on so that it doesn't seem like okay i'm singing this i'm drumming i'm reading poetry i read this novel and okay i did some jumping jacks so okay i can i not need to play this piece you know that's a very kind of dramatic example that wouldn't necessarily reflect someone's experience but at the same time I think in our enthusiasm, sometimes it's easy to take it a little bit beyond what may be helpful, you know, but again, I'm all about enthusiasm. So I'm not saying, you know, put a damper on it. Don't try anything new. Just do what you've always done. But I would say also, don't feel like this has to be an immediate, you know, uh, dramatic turn of events that you have to do all of this stuff all the time, every day when you're practicing, because I'm afraid that could become quite overwhelming and I think it may make us feel a bit scattered as if we're not able to really get to the the task that we're hoping to accomplish. Oh, I think you're talking about something very important, Ryan, the tyranny of perfectionism, which usually has more, 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 more as the driver, right? So if you think the misconception would be, I have to do more cross-training, right? Then that's just gonna lead you down a different path than that building resilience and flexibility that we're after. I think another misconception would be that cross-training is only about physicality, right? So mm. you and I are talking about um, how to get into thinking about music making from all different kinds of uh, avenues about how we hear, or how we imagine, right? Is not just about uh, the muscles of your hands and arms and back, right? <laughs> so I think that's one misconception that cross-training is just about physicality. And I think also, uh, there's a misconception um, that the, the cross-training could distract you from music making. And so I think this idea, as you were saying, um, in pragmatism, it's called end in view, 
right? So if I know that I'm going for a run because I want more stamina, right? If I'm a wind player, uh, aerobic exercise is going to be a really good idea for cross training. That's going to build lung capacity. Yes. But as you said, if I think I have to train for a marathon and that's the only way to cross train, <laughs> I might cause, I might overdo it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I think there's several elements. Um, but I'm curious in, in addition to misconceptions, Ryan, uh, do you think there's any potential pitfalls when it comes to cross training? I would say becoming distracted in a way that isn't helpful could be could be um, a pitfall. I would also say that specifically speaking to more of the physical and like exercise related realm of things, I think if we're doing things in a way that isn't well informed about our coordination and the way our bodies work, that there is a tendency, again, kind of relating to that more is more idea, mm -hmm. where we could open ourselves up to other challenges and injuries, potentially. I mean, that may be an extreme example, but I think we have to, you know, as with anything, you need, you want to get good guidance and good information about how you can do this best in a way that is sustainable and healthy, and that will actually help you and support what you're trying to do. Because, you know, I think we've all, you know, seen sitcom things where someone decides that they're going to exercise and they get on this, you know, mega regimen of exercise all of a sudden. And then two or three days later, they're like, it's not good. <laughs> they're in very bad shape. And in a sitcom, of course, they usually paint it in a very comedic light, but in real life, it's not funny. <laughs> so, so we really want to consider those elements as we're doing it. So I think, you know, consulting an Alexander Technique teacher, you know, working with a good personal trainer, various things like that, that really can help inform us as we're doing it, I think can be a real gift. And I think that they can really help us also, you know, toward the pragmatic end that you mentioned, they can really help us further toward our goal by not um, inducing setbacks and things that could have easily been avoided. I couldn't agree more. And especially about consulting with uh, experts who are familiar with working with musicians um, because there's a lot at stake. And I couldn't agree more that when people think about exercising, they overdo it a lot. It's so common. I see it in the musicians that I work with that they have good intentions, you know, but they really think that going to the gym, like more and more, as you said, more, more, more. And I, I, the, the worst case of this that I ever remember was working with a singer many, many years ago. And uh, this singer was tight in his upper torso, in his shoulders, in his neck, in his arms. And so I asked the singer, oh, were you at the gym? And he said, oh, yes, quite proudly. <laughs> and I said, you might be overdoing it a little bit. You seem really tight. And what I know about airways and tongues, right, is that our trachea is a freely hanging mechanism, right? So if you have a lot of excess tension in your shoulders and your neck, 
that can interfere with intonation. That can interfere with articulation, things that singers do not want to interfere with. Yes. Also, if you get your chest all puffed out and stuck, it's going to interfere with the flexibility required for good breathing. So flexible breathing, resilient breathing. So when I said to the singer, I think you might be overdoing it. This is how he responded. Oh, I know. He said, I never sing the day after I work out because I know I'm too tight. And I, ooh, that kind of frightened me because I thought I know, I happen to know that sometimes singers get called to audition at the last minute. Singers sometimes get called to fill in if they're covering a role. And I thought, that's not a sustainable plan. You know you're overdoing it to a point where it's compromising your singing and yet you're a singer. And so I was, this was many, many years ago and I was not so bold. Now I tell my students, you are overdoing it and need to reconsider the proportion. You should not need a day of recovery in order to do your, I mean, that maybe sounds obvious, but maybe I'm here to state the obvious today. So I would always encourage people to find something they like and to pay attention. So if you're someone that's prone, uh, as many instrumentalists are, to tendonitis in your hands or your one of your arm joints or shoulder joints, yes, then an upper body workout maybe is not the wisest for you. Maybe running, right? Or uh, cycling is a better choice for you. So think carefully and moderate to go, right? So if you're lifting weights is the other one, right? Because what's the culture of lifting weights? More, 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 more. And maybe not. Maybe you want to do less weight and fewer repetitions because what you're going for is a kind of flexible tonality that you need in your music making. So those are some of my tips. Did we leave anything out, do you think, Ryan? No, I, I think all of those are great tips. I guess one question that comes to my mind sort of as a follow-up to that discussion is, do you have any particular general guidelines that you could suggest to people that are maybe beginning to consider an exercise routine? I know you've alluded to some things already, but and I know it can be difficult to give general advice, but are there are there any kinds of things that you would encourage us to think about when we're you know, thinking about this beginning of the year, you know, good, good habits, healthy habits that would really help us in our journey with that. Mm. Well, I would start with pick something you like. And if you don't know what you like, try a few different things. Don't feel pressured that you have to know what you like. So go ahead and, and try some things. Pick something that's going to be sustainable. In other words, you have access to because Building a new habit takes time and perseverance. So make it as easy on you as possible. I happen to love swimming, but I don't have easy access to a pool. And that takes more time, right? Because you have to get changed and then you have to shower when you're done, right? So for me, that's not a good choice, even though I like swimming. So how do I pick something I like that is accessible so it's going to become sustainable? Then think about, what you're trying to find the complement of, right? Ah. So if you spend a lot of time sitting, how can you spend more time moving? 
if you play your instrument with your fingers? How can you, uh, for actually for all musicians, I would say find whole body exercises as much as possible, but you don't want to put the load, the demand on the body part that's already tending to be compromised, right? So I wouldn't necessarily do a ton of yoga where you're supporting a lot of your body weight in your arms or find a yoga class that doesn't do downward dog every other move, right? So there are some choices, right? Find the right yoga teacher. I'm not saying don't do yoga, but like you were saying, it's important to find the right practitioners that are a good fit for you and your circumstance. With it being the beginning of the year and with us really looking at this, how are, how, how do you think about implementing these ideas about cross-training, you know, in the various ways that we've discussed them into your own practice? Well, I'd like to share an idea that I stole from my West Coast swing teacher, Robert Hoiston. Uh, He has a really fun idea, which is that you write things down on a piece of paper. So maybe that would be go for a run or listen to a different kind of music, read some poetry. um, I don't know, uh, do a couple of movement videos and you put those pieces of paper in a bowl. And then every day you pick out a piece of paper. So that's the randomized approach to cross training, right? So that you're not pressurizing yourself. What's the right thing to do? You just try some things, right? So this idea of just dipping your toes in um, is one idea. And I'd like to add into the mix. It's perhaps a little far-fetched, but one thing I really emphasize with the musicians that I work with is not practicing for perfection or practicing for your instrument but that the reason why we practice is so we can share music and so for me possibly this idea of inviting in your imagination an audience to be with you in a practice room could be considered cross training right so that again I think that's part of that zooming out discussion isn't it that I'm not like trying to get that phrase, right? And that rhythmic change, right? Or that intonation over and over and over. It's like, I have something to say to people. And so I've been known to ask my Curtis students to put pictures of loved ones around their practice room, right? Or stuffed animals or anything just to get them again, let your imagination show up. Yeah, I would say for me that I definitely tend to, you know, get into the more is more is more with the exploration part, partially just because I'm, I'm just very curious and I just enjoy finding the intersections of these things and how they all relate to each other. But I would also say with that, I have been learning over time, and I would say it's an ongoing process as learning (laughs) tends to be, that by just you know having a way where you limit the options on a given day and i love this suggestion that you gave about you know letting it be random so you're taking the energy and the effort of like picking the right thing to do that day but you're just making it a habit to do something and i i think maybe that that is is the biggest takeaway for me that i'm going to continue to explore even more is don't feel like I have to do everything in a given day, but just keep exploring, keep exploring. And just, you know, maybe every day 
pull something out of the out of the jar, pull something out of the bowl and really find something a little bit different. And I think that kind of exploration really does tend to yield a great deal of insight and growth for us because I found, and this is one of the particular reasons that I think cross-training interests me conceptually, is I found so often in my own practice that if I get stuck with something a little better, it's starting to feel stale or stagnant. By looking at it through a different lens, by doing a different activity that may or may not seem to relate to it directly, I end up finding new worlds and, you know, into the thing that I was trying to do. And it may not be immediately apparent, but I think that idea and just keeping that in focus and reminding myself that I don't need to do it all at one time, but that just to keep exploring, I think that's the biggest thing for me that I'm really going to be trying to continue to use in my own practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this idea of, I mean, for me, I have to schedule it right? I have to make a commitment and schedule it. And what I find with the musicians that I work with is there's a great deal of commitment and dedication. There's a great deal of discipline, but it's all about practicing on an instrument or practicing the music that you need to perform. And as you have alluded to many times in this episode, time is limited, right? And there's already this kind of culture of scarcity where I don't have enough time to practice. I don't have enough time to prepare to the level that I want to, because, you know, excuse me, but when did we ever feel completely prepared? <laughs> like there's always more, right? Because yes. if you're really completely prepared, there's nothing left to say, may I just say. And so to understand uh, that dynamic. And so what I've tried to do is to convince my students that if they would spend two to five minutes, I try to make it a very easy ask. And I say that happens before you open your case, before you open a score, right? That you spend two to five minutes attending to the whole of you, right? Or the artistic expression that you're about to engage in, that you start zoomed out and you make a date with yourself because you already have that discipline. If you're a musician, uh, 99 times out of 100, you already have that discipline. But so I would challenge our listeners. I've never done this on this podcast. I'm going to challenge our listeners to take um, the mission, should you choose to accept it, that for an entire week before you practice, you spend five minutes of some kind of zoomed out cross-training, listening to other music, moving in a different way, imagining in a different way where this music happens, right? Any of the many things we've discussed in this episode and see what it does to your music making. And please email us, right? Make it, I don't know, can you make a comment on a podcast platform? I don't know much about that. Um, but communicate with us, share with us how that goes for you because um, I don't ever want anyone to believe me, right? I want to provide some information. I want to engage your curiosity and see how that works for you. 
Yeah, that that's beautiful. And and I just want to offer an additional uh, uh, corollary to that beautiful idea. And I would say not only do it in your own practice, but consider doing that in your teaching when you're mm. starting your lessons. Like maybe you know it's you know your music teacher. You're thinking, okay, this this student needs to do this piece and this piece, and we got to do this. And you know what? Maybe before you start all of that do an activity maybe we just make it different every lesson just a short activity mm. not going to take a ton of time to to really cultivate this in your students because i think the biggest way that we make an impact whether we're aware of it or not is when we take the time to model it and show mm -hmm. it and spend time in shared experience engaging in it with our students so i would just add that to your challenge you know oh. that try it yourself but share it with your students oh ryan that was perfect i just love that idea thank you so much i couldn't agree more yeah you're absolutely right about modeling things for our students and it kind of makes me want to i think i just thought of another episode title imagination first teaching Mm. right i think that's a great idea hmm. let us know though how you did everyone and we do want to hear your ideas for topics thank you for joining us today and exploring how we think about teaching and learning we'd love to hear your experiences and questions about how embodiment and mindset impacts your music making send your ideas for future episodes to pedagogygeeks at gmail.com and thanks for listening